Welcome to Income for Baby Boomers. If you want to learn about exciting new businesses each week from other boomers who speak your language and have started a unique and profitable business from home, you have come to the right place. For those who would like to try some of these low investment opportunities, stay tuned. We'll help you get started in your own profitable adventure. Now with your host and entrepreneur, Ken Queen. I'd like to welcome Jeff Slutsky. Many books he's written straight on street fighting, street fighter marketing, and smart marketing, and smart selling. Jeff, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Jeff, I often like to try to get to the roots of someone uh, so that maybe people can figure out how you think. I know that could take a long time, but <laughs> I wanted just to say, when you first got the entrepreneurial bug, was that? Uh, were you one of those kids that had the lemonade stands and you've been doing it since then, or when did it all start? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, my mother was uh, fond of telling me this story about when I was five years old. I took a plunger and put it on the back of my wagon and went door to door in the neighborhood trying to sell plumbing services. <laughs> now, I personally don't remember that, so I have to take her at oh. her word, but uh, yeah. Did you have a dad that was a plumber? No, no, uh-uh. He was okay. a builder. He, he, he built garages, but uh, oh. we always had family businesses. Like, yeah, I don't know where the plumbing bug came from. All right. Let's go to your first venture as an entrepreneur where you started to make some money. Well, out of college, my first job was with um, an advertising agency, and after about a couple of years, decided to spin off on my own. But during that time, one of my friends opened up a nightclub in, in that city and wanted me to become a partner in it and handle the marketing and the advertising because that's what I was doing. So I invested uh, as a minority partner in the nightclub, and it, and it kicked off really well and started making some money. So I was able to leave the ad agency, and I started doing consulting work because uh, uh, people started asking me if I could uh, do for them what I did for myself, which was on a very small budget, got a lot of exposure and advertising, and, and we had waiting lines four nights a week at one point, and it went really well. So that sort of uh, not only financially kick-started things off, but also gave me the exposure and the uh, credibility to uh, offer those kinds of services to, to others. Okay, uh, so if someone was going to well, let me ask you, how did you start that business? How did you get your customers? Was this word of mouth? Is that what happened? Or Yeah, primarily it was word of mouth. It started out they were coming to me because it was a high-visibility nightclub in town, and so people started to see what I was doing there, and then some other people asked me to do it. And then I was asked to speak at one of my clients' trade associations. It was a florist. I was doing work for him. I'd never, you know, did public speaking in that that way before, but I just told them some of the stuff I was doing and gave them ideas, and it went really well, and people started asking me to speak at their events and actually paying me for it, so all of a sudden, uh, not only was I consulting and advising in the area of marketing and advertising, but then I, I started generating revenue as a public speaker, and uh, that part of the business started to build, and eventually, uh, that's what I was doing full-time. So it sounds like you plunged into most things. You didn't have Toastmasters and belonged to a bunch of associations before you started to talk. You just They threw you out in the water and you swam. Pretty much. I mean, you know, they offered me $50 and a free dinner, and I thought, heck, that's a good deal. And, and I wasn't a motivational speaker. I was just giving them ideas of, based on things that I knew from past experience that worked and were working for my client at the time and shared those ideas. And, oh, it had a theater background in high school and always did writing and skits and things like that. So I, I wasn't afraid to be in front of a group. So that never bothered me. 
And the same thing with the nightclub business. It's not like your family was in the nightclub business or anything else. You just dove in and, and gave it a shot. It yeah, yeah, like. yeah, it was just opportunity because uh, I knew somebody who had a successful small nightclub and he wanted to open up a larger one. And, you know, he knew some of the stuff I was doing. So, you know, basically uh, I bought in, I think I own 10% of it, you know, and, and that certainly helped move things along. Okay, so then part of your secret is team up with an expert that's already knows how to do the business and and help them expand it is is your secret there. It sounds like. Well, I never would have gotten into the nightclub business unless I had a, a friend who was already successful in it. He right. probably would have been successful without me, but he probably figured you know he'd be more successful with me as a partner because I brought something unique to the table. So he had all the operational financial service kind of, of expertise. And, and since it was going to be a much bigger club this time, he thought that marketing, advertising, promotion was going to be a, an important element to have. And I guess he was hedging his bet and that sort of brought me along. So what you're saying basically is you don't have to be an expert in everything. If you can be an expert in one thing, uh, you can add a lot to, to, to any operation. Well, absolutely. I, one of my good friends is, is a CPA and he's very shrewd in business and does a lot of stuff for small and medium businesses. And as a result, he has a lot of opportunities as well when, when clients will come to him for investment opportunities and things like that. They are not only, you know, not only does he have um, cash to, to contribute, but also the uh, financial expertise being a CPA. So, you know, he never would have been in some of these other businesses, but he was able to provide the financial wherefore to do that. So everybody has, I think, some unique things to offer. If you can just make that fit into what the new venture is going to be, that, that might make sense. Would a key be that um, which a lot of successful people like uh, Kennedy and they seem to be going in the direction of, yes, uh, you can buy my services, but I also want 10% of your business. <laughs> sure. Uh, you can sell uh, your expertise or, in some cases, get a piece of the action for it and provide less risk and more commitment to that. And I co-wrote a book with Dan a couple of years ago uh, just on this type of thing, on, on uh, no BS grassroots marketing, which exposed me to a I lot of I people in his arena. So you're part of – you go to some of his seminars or something too? Or? No, no. just went to the one when we introduced the book. Oh, okay. And I've, I've known Dan for years through uh, the National Speakers Association, of which we're both members. Yeah. And we had the same literary agent, and he had the idea of, you know, Dan has a really big following and has a whole series of these these no BS books that he does with many of them with co-authors. So I could bring basically my expertise, which is um, the guerrilla marketing, low cost marketing, grassroots kind of stuff that we, we could co-write together. And so then he gets another. We we both come out, you know, ahead on doing something like that. Okay, super. Oh, well, that was a good guy to team up with, I think. Yeah. Real good one. <laughs> let's just imagine for a minute, if someone was going to start something today like you're doing, let's say being a, a speaker and writing books, uh, let's say he's about to retire from a landscape business. Uh, he's an expert at landscaping. Uh, he was a manager. He didn't own it, so he's not used to the entrepreneurial side, but he's really good at, at doing the work and designing the work, and he's retiring. They're letting him go. He can't can't get out there, and maybe his knees are gone or whatever, mm -hmm. and so now the small company can't keep him on any longer, so now he needs to start his own thing. What does he need to do to maybe try to follow in your shoes, or what would you recommend that he, that he does? You know, it depends. If, if he was 
specifically in the operational side, meaning you know he was out there cutting the yards or, or designing or whatever it might be, that might be a little more difficult. But if he was in management and had expertise and knowledge of how to make a small landscaping business successful, that would be a nice niche to have. So he could then take his expertise that he learned on the job and start to make his knowledge available to others who might need some help to grow their business or make their business more successful. As he, do you think he's restricted if he didn't sign anything in particular, but do you think he's restricted with non-compete kind of situations because he's learned you know, everything that a business has done even though he has not a non-compete? Is he going to be vulnerable there? Um, I'm not a lawyer, so I, I wouldn't know the answer to that, but the only time I've, I've heard of, of there being issues like that is when there is a non-compete. So um, I would, again, seek legal counsel, but I, you know, if there's no non-compete, and it was not implied that what he was, you know, doing over the years was was trade secret. You know, I, I would check it out, but I can't see where it would be an issue. But don't go by me. All right. So okay, let's say he knows that management part mm-hmm. that that he was strong in that. So what what would be the first thing you do? Create a website? Go out and try to get speaking engagements? What would you reckon? What would be the first step? Do you think for him? I think uh, a really good uh, business plan. First, find out what you want to be. So what are your strengths? What information do you have that would be of value? Uh, who are the people that are likely to, to want to use your services? Uh, who are they using now? I mean, what, what is out there already and how can you reach them and how do you price it and so forth? So basically get a plan together first before you start spending any money. That should actually be – I would be doing this like a year before I plan to retire. I mean, as soon as I knew what direction the wind was blowing, I would have started planning all this ahead of time while I still had the job. Well, so for those that are in that boat, so the ones that didn't do that, though, so they need to jump in and start making some money quickly here. What what uh, do you recommend they do? Well, the easiest thing I think would be to contact probably some of your employer's major competitors and say, I have knowledge and information that I think could help make your business successful. I'd like to spend a few minutes and chat with you about it. For a small retainer, for you know maybe three to six months, I might be able to give you some ideas that could help move things along. And you know, I used to be one of the top guys at at this other landscaping business. Yeah, especially if it's a direct competitor, they might you know it might be worth a couple thousand dollars to, to find out uh, that information. All the suppliers and the best whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what is I, I don't know in that particular business. What would be important, but how the, you know, how they go about getting new customers, how they recruit, what payroll company, yeah, all that kind of stuff that, you know, if you're running this business, that guy's successful, there might be a few gems in there that, that could help you make your business successful. And that'd be worth, worth some dollars to be able to pick some guy's brain who has access to that information. Now, would you be trying to get a, a three-month retainer right off or say I'll I'll do two or three hours at X amount of dollars to start with to see if you like what I have to say? Or Well, it depends how much information he has. When I do it, because it's advertising and marketing, it's an ongoing kind of thing because it's always changing. Now, if it's just finding out what the other guy knows, it might be a one-shot deal. So I'd put together like a 90-day package of some kind, you know, for 2500 bucks or something and and they get so many hours a week, and uh, he comes in and learns his operation. And based on his discovery, which is the first part of it, you find out 
what they're doing. Based on that, then he could start m- making suggestions based on what he knows. He goes, he could say things like, well, have you considered doing it this way? Or we tried it like this and found this to be more successful and start throwing out ideas that way. And then at the end of that period, if, if he has a value, they may want to do more. They may want to scale it back, but continue it, or he may offer it to somebody else. So you, you do, you don't want to start off with a, an hour consultation if you can help it. You want to do a package right from the beginning. Well, yeah, because you don't want to, you know, sell an hour when you can sell a month. And again, if you have valuable information, a very even proprietary, somewhat information, that once you give it, you're pretty much done. Then you got to somehow price it so that it makes it worth your while. You certainly don't want to do it for a hundred bucks. At the same time, you want to make it affordable to the guy. So you don't want to charge him $2,500 for one hour. So you, you, you have to package it in a way that it sounds like there's good value. So it's not only the information, but I got to spend time and learn your operation. That's going to take 10 hours. And then I'm going to weekly meet with you for a couple hours. We could do it over lunch for about two months after that. And, you know, you tell me what's going on. I'll give you more ideas. So you give them a reason to want to spend the money with you. You got about uh, 25 hours, it sounds like, into it. So you're maybe $100 an hour. Is that yeah, you know, something like that. Again, whatever the market will bear, the smaller the community, the less you'll be able to make. But the more competitive, the more successful the community is, you can charge more. You know, and then whatever you start with, they'll probably want to negotiate. And eventually you're going to find out what the market will bear in your pricing. And, um, you know, not everybody's the same. So that's part of the sales process that you have to learn because being a consultant or a speaker or writing like I do, the, the toughest thing that we do is getting the business. Doing the work's easy. Get, mm-hmm. Doing the speech, doing the consulting work, that's, that's a blast. But we spend 90% of our time getting the business, and that's the hard part. So that's what you got to really focus on. So not only are you working the existing contract you have or agreement, uh, but you got to be thinking like two, three moves down the road because once this is up and if it takes you a good six months lead time to generate a good deal or good contract, you got to be working that at the same time. Yeah, I see one mistake I made then because I figured out how to get lawyers from zero to 65000 a month in billing in about 60 days. And I did an hour video and sold it for 199 bucks, which was probably a bad idea. <laughs> Well, was, you know, if that information is worth $65,000, um, I wouldn't have done it in video. I would, I mean, you can, but yeah, I did a video. sure, you know, you find out what's the market willing to bear, but you learn from that and you go on. Now, we're talking more local business. What if this fellow wants to do more of a national kind of thing for his knowledge? Well, if he's good enough to take it national, but on a national level, if you're talking about for example, working with similar companies in a lot of different cities. Mm-hmm. So what I would do then is start working, trying to get keynote positions at their association meetings. So like the um, Palm Desert Landscapers Association probably has a couple meetings a year. They may be willing to bring him in. Maybe he's willing to speak for expenses only or for nominal fee, but it gets him in front of 20 or 30 or, or more potential clients that so you use your speaking not only as a revenue source eventually but as a really good platform to launch your consulting efforts all right and then also if you created a couple of videos and a couple of books you could sell those at the back of the room even though it's very important uh, because that's a huge part of the revenue stream if you're selling information which is basically 
what a consultant or speaker does is you're selling information, and people are willing to buy that information in a variety of formats, some of it live, like like in a seminar or a speech. They'll buy it in coaching one-on-one. They'll buy it in a book format and read it. They'll buy that as an electronic book on Kindle. They'll buy an audio book. They'll buy videos and, and so forth, uh, maybe interactive on, on, on the Internet. So uh, And it's so much easier now to create these products and self-publish, and, and you don't have to have a major publisher to put a book out anymore. You can become an expert and then demonstrate your expertise as well as make products that you can sell very easily now and do it all from your home. You don't have to have a big office in order to do this stuff. Speaking of a book, some people think, well, you got to be a big name before you write the book, and others say you need to write a book to become a big name. How, where do you see the book fitting into this new guy starting out? Get one out as soon as possible or, or what? Well, you know, if he's a good writer, again, if the information he has is valuable, the book will probably do pretty decent. If he, Like in my case, uh, I make more money on the books I sell back of the room at a speaking date than I would from a bookstore or other means, though I do have them out there. It's great for exposure more than anything. But when someone meets you or sees you live, that's when they're they're most excited to want to spend 20 bucks for a paperback book and have you sign it. And that book costs you four bucks. That's a nice markup. It's good to have those kinds of things available, you know. But again, the information's got to be there. Right. You have to have uh, something useful there. <laughs> yeah. I, I would think something useful would be, be helpful. Yeah. What, I, uh, what I'm referring to is that I guess you, this fellow that has this expertise, could go read six or five or six other books on the subject, and with what he knows and what he's read there, could cobble a book together fairly quickly with probably uh, with his angle and and the special things he knows uh, with someone's help could probably put a book, to, book together really quickly or, or am I being optimistic? Doing a book, it's a big project uh, if you've not done one before. So the best thing maybe would be um, go to your local or regional, uh, in this case if we're talking about landscapers, maybe they have their own magazine or newsletter or trade journal or something goes out and often write a column for it. And so you start writing these monthly columns, and it forces you to sit down and write 2,000 or 2,500 words on a monthly basis or whenever it comes out. And, you know, and after a while, your columns could be chapters in a book. So that makes it real easy. So you, so you can build it up that way. And what about you do the same thing with your website, too, then, if you're blogging or something? Absolutely. It's all content. And the content can be uh, repurposed in different platforms and different media. So as long as the ideas are good, people have a tendency to want to learn those ideas in a variety of of different media. So you can do a video, audio, print, you know, on basically the same information. Uh, Should you create right at the beginning some expensive package like, you know, you've got your $20 book and then you have your $99 uh, video series and then you have your uh, $299 one day seminar and your $2000 uh, yearly uh whatever should you be create making sure you have that big stuff right there cuz some always buy the biggest right they do but at the same time it depends how much it costs you to develop those products so if you're just starting in this you may want to go easy on it first sort of get a feel for what people really want in the way of content real information real advice before you commit it to a major like a video project and start off small and learn and then let it let it uh, evolve so that you build these packages. Now at the same time, 
let's say you're doing a, a seminar. You do a half-day seminar for an association. Now, you're probably going to do it free or for expenses only, but as part of the deal, have them videotape that half-day seminar, and then that becomes your product. So you don't have you – know, it's not professionally videotaped, but it's good enough for people who weren't at that seminar to learn the basics of it, and that becomes a product. And did you say that you would have them re record it or you would be recording it? You could do it either way. But again, the, the equipment now is so much different than it was when I first started. You mm -hmm. know, you can get a relatively inexpensive video camera and do a pretty decent job without it being too expensive. But, you know, usually these associations have access to that kind of stuff because you're going to be busy doing the seminar. So you want someone to operate the camera. And it doesn't have to be the best production in the world, just clean enough so that the person getting the video easily can, can hear and see what the information is. And then you just promote it as live and unedited, you know, every little detail is there. What about uh, getting releases? How important are they? So you went to the association and they decide it's their property or whatever. So you, you need agreements right up front? Or, yes. Or is it absolutely. kind of you understood? Yep. Or? Absolutely. Now, what you may do is... is um, to help it along is offer them, they can use it for archival purposes, for their own purposes only, but not for resale. So you get the master, uh, they get a copy for their archives. Their members, if they want it, can maybe get it at a special discount. But again, you're providing expertise at one of their meetings, maybe for free. And that's how I created some of my first products was offering to do programs at no charge so that I had an audience to, to uh, video or audio a live presentation that I could use for product later. So get that up front clear <laughs> who Always. gets what. Yep. So let's see how uh, you would fit into all this. Now, you know, a lot of people, they want to have it done for them kind of. I mean, some of them would like it all done for them. And some of them would like part of it done for them. Do you offer uh, services along that line? I don't do it for them. I show them how to do it and, and how to do it cheaply. A lot of times uh, I sell a package, like when I give a, a seminar or a speech, mm -hmm. I have a package of three or four books. And then I used to, to sell DVDs and CD audio albums. And the audio is like four albums, a total of maybe, I think it's 15 CDs that we used to use. And there's like, so I took all that stuff and just put it on a thumb drive now. So instead of all this eight pounds of stuff, I just give them a thumb drive, which they can now download to their iPhone or iPad or whatever, and get all that same information on a little tiny uh, drive along with some books. And then I give them access to me by phone uh, for a year, as long as they don't abuse it. Or, or they can send, send me an email with a quick question so that as they go through the material, if they have a, a question or they don't understand something, I can make sure they go on the right path. And I charge hundreds of dollars for that kind of a package. Uh, the only thing I was concerned about with a thumb drive compared to the eight pounds is the perceived value. Is that a problem? <laughs> the um, one is get, they're getting this big thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, when I did the eight pounds, I had to charge twice as much. So I explained to them, and I showed them a picture. This is what it looked like originally. Here's what I do now, and I'm passing the savings on to you because it's less of a pain in the butt for me to make this available. <laughs> and you know what? You. My sale's gone up. Could you say, I guess one other way maybe, but it'd still be a pain for you, is uh, say, I can offer it both ways. Uh, the one package is 2000 the other one's 3000 Would you want the thumb drive? <laughs> yeah, somebody wants pounds? to do that, but I'll tell you the big expense in all this stuff is in the packaging of the product. So when you're doing audios and videos, you got the jewel cases and the CD cases and the, and the inserts and the labels and all that stuff. 
Stuff's expensive to do on a per unit basis, and then you got to inventory the stuff. Mm-hmm. With a thumb drive, you just have a dozen on hand or whatever you think you're going to sell, and I attach them to basically a postcard, promotional postcard that I lay out so it looks almost like this is the display of it, and explain what's in it. Again, they're buying the information. So yeah, maybe you'll lose a sale here or there, but you want to make it as low cost initially as you possibly can and, and easy for you. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen. Well, I can't argue with success. You're saying your sales yeah. went up with thumb drive, so you know, let's go with thumb drives. Uh, that sounds like the way to go. You just load it up. Everything's on there. The videos are on there. The audios are on there. The slides or whatever you put are on there. So uh, I, I think that is fantastic that way. Pricing, let's just go with that for a second. Okay. I mean, every industry is different, but if you were doing an eight-pound package for landscaping, what would be the lowest you'd sell it for into <laughs> the highest? Well, you know, what you do is you have different packages at different price points. Then you fit what your information in to fit the price points because when you're done with a the program, they're going to come up to you and you got to make it easy for them. So I usually do an in increments of $20 because it's $20 bills. I eat the tax. I'll handle shipping if necessary. You just make it easy because it's $20 bills. So I have a $20 package, a $40 package. Then it may jump to uh, $80, 100 And then also I use squares for um, credit card orders, which makes it so much easier than it used to be. And I just take the order with a card swipe right on my cell phone right there. And usually the two, three, $500 packages get swiped on a credit card. So, But you make the price points very simple. And as you go up in price point, the value becomes greater. So, you know, they get one book for 20, 20 a piece for a book, but if you buy three books, it's 40, that kind of thing. So that as right. you go up in price point, they're getting more and more for their money. So there's an okay. incentive to to spend more. What do you think of these folks? Now, they're, this maybe is more focused to webinars, but some of them say, hey, you can't give people choices because then they want to go home and think about it. <laughs> so, so you say, okay, this is the package. It's either a $100 package or a $1,000 package, but that's the only package. But do you think? There's always going to be, most of the people are going to buy the 20 and $40 packages. Uh, there might be a handful that will buy the hundreds dollar packages or the 1000 mm-hmm. depending on what you sell. So you make it available to them, but it's only available then. You know, this is the deal. This is what it normally costs. It's half price today. Uh, I have the stuff here. I'm gone, you know, in an hour on a plane. So it's now or never. Otherwise, you can you can buy it uh, from the website and pay twice as much. But usually they want to buy it then. There may be a few that want to make a decision. Well, forget it. Don't worry about selling 100% to everybody all the time. You have 15 minutes at the end of a program where you're going to do 95% of your, your back-of-the-room sales. So you just focus on that. Make it easy and simple. For you and for them to walk away with something of good value. And then the guarantee, like Dan at one time gave you lifetime guarantee. You buy something for a thousand bucks, you can get a refund 20 years from now. <laughs> is that a little going a little too far? Or? I don't know what my lifetime is going to be. I, I don't like doing that just because I don't want the liability out there. But yeah, I could, you know, if you want to give them a year, a couple months, whatever, just so you don't have to worry about it. And there's always a few people that will take advantage of you and. You know, mm-hmm. use it all and send it back. But I don't do Dan's volume. So I'd rather just sell it. I don't really offer a money back guarantee, but if someone's really unhappy, I'll, I'll refund their money. And I just want to forget about it. So I'm, again, I'm trying to make it easy. So Dan's got building, you got to understand he's got this big organization he does. and he's, he's in a whole different level than I am. And I've done this for years and I had the big organization and now I'm at the point where I just want to have fun with it and, you know, do the stuff and not worry about 
you know, shipping boxes here and doing all that extra stuff that, you know, that's kind of where it evolved for me. All right. So keep it simple. Stupid would probably be a good. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, well, I kind of learned that the hard way. All right. So someone starting today, again, you're saying don't complicate it. Do everything. I guess you could even give them the book you wrote on a thumb drive and you wouldn't have to carry 50 books in. You know, that's interesting because I do find that if they want to buy a book, they want the physical book to take with them. Oh. They may never oh. even read it. But right. audio and video, they're okay with the thumb drive. And I do have some articles and workbooks and things like that on PDF also on the thumb drive or the, the Kindle version of some books. And again, I, you know, my audiences are probably 40 plus. So there's no substitution by seeing that physical published book is not only something they want to hold, but it's your credibility. Something about a book in print is still magical. So I do, you know, bring those along with me and, and do a display and let them take the books with them. And if I run out, then they pay for it and I'll, I'll pay for the shipping. Okay. Um, do you use, would you say your books are more of a leader or a profit center? I can't really say either or. They do both. I've had a client that will book me to do a program and then also want to buy books for everybody. And the book sales were more than the actual speaking fee. Some of the back of the room sales can be more than. Sometimes it's just a little 10% add-on to what I made. And at the same time, every book that is floating around there is also a promotional tool. It's like advertising that somebody paid me to advertise me. So mm -hmm. a book is a unique kind of thing. So it's both exposure, credibility, and profit. It serves all three. So let's say this landscaper says, well, I don't want to go to the industry. I want to go to the customer who wants to design his own yard, and I'm going to tell him how. Uh, how would he approach that, that kind of business? Well, that would be you know, selling services directly to consumer. And <laughs> from there, what I would do is probably start by trying to develop relationships with other businesses that are non-competitive with that, that would be willing to refer me, maybe for a referral fee or uh, maybe trade referrals or whatever. But let's see, if I'm doing landscape design, I might talk to someone like a roofer, a painter, a plumber, anybody that's doing home repairs, that kind of thing. So if it's for the home, obviously, uh, or if I'm going to go to the commercial route, maybe design it for apartment complexes or office buildings, you know, talk to those people as well. But you could probably sit down and make a list of 20 or 30 types of vendors that are reaching the kinds of people who would also hire you and then start taking those people to lunch. All right. So uh, get the bug control guy. He's in everyone's yard. He, he gets over here that the customer is thinking of doing some landscaping. So he might be a really good or or the or the guy that's cutting the lawn might be a, a fantastic. Uh, he, he's not a landscaper. He just cuts the, uh, yeah. the, the grass. Sure. And Those then what they can do if they're doing billing, for example, they're doing a monthly billing uh, on something like that or even a one time billing if it's a repair kind of thing. He could put an insert in the envelope for the invoice that says, oh, by the way, if you happen to be in the market for landscaping, talk to my buddy uh, Ken over here, and I'm going to save you $100 on one of his designs. Just show him this certificate. Uh, compliments of me. So, you know, there's no additional cost. I provide the bug guy, you know, with let's say he, he sends out 500 invoices, so I send him 500 certificates uh, with his name right on it, compliments of of the bug guy and his logo is on the piece. It's an insert. And as a result, maybe I do a design for him or I'll take him to dinner 
or uh, for everyone that shows up, I'll give them a you know, referral fee or whatever kind of arrangement we want. But instead of waiting for someone to say, uh, do you happen to know a good landscape designer, which is not likely to happen, you want to be a little bit more proactive and get these people to actually proactively promote you to those customers of his or hers who could potentially be your customers. Okay, so this person is deciding, okay, what's going to be the fastest for me to get off the ground to make money? Is he going to be best off to deal with apartment complexes at that level, the end, the end user with the inserts, or the original idea? Um, well, I wouldn't limit myself. I mean, if he really has to get business fast, knocking on doors and letting people know what you do, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, making sales calls, putting out flyers. And then you could do the cross-promoting kind of thing as well. But, you know, start it out. Maybe you have some high-visibility potential customers or you know some people. Say, hey, uh, if you're willing to do this design of mine, I would normally charge, you know, X thousands of dollars for this design. If you agree to build it, I'll design it, you know, for nothing. But I, I want to use you in my advertising. I need, you know, testimonial, photographs, and so forth uh, to help build my business. So sometimes you're willing to do a few things just to get the thing started, prime the pump. So you need a good pair of steel-toed sho shoes. Uh, like <laughs> it doesn't hurt. <laughs> but again, you don't have to uh, deal with people directly. If you're just ha hanging flyers on their door and they come out and talk to you, but you, you can just do the more uh, indirect approach just by putting going through the neighborhoods, like you say. Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, again, if I don't have a non-compete, I'd start with the customers I already know who are familiar with me through my former employer it happens all the time. I just let them know I'm now off on my own. And if you need a landscape design, since we already have a relationship, I will, you know, I'm building my business. Um, I'm going to do this at half off. So just let me know if I can be of service. And, you know, you can do that in a letter. You can do it with a phone call. You can do that by dropping off a flyer. Do not do it while you're still working there. No. That would not be, be cool. So once you have officially left, then you could do follow-up as long as, as you legally can do that. So, yeah, that's what I would do. And then if I happen okay. to get uh, a job, not only would I do that job, but then I would contact the six houses surrounding that job and let them know I'm working on this one. So go knock on those doors. A lot of realtors use that. Absolutely. They, they, they have a listing on a house. They go knock on all the doors and say, by the way, I'm doing this. And uh, do you have any relatives that might want to move in the neighborhood or whatever their line is? Yeah, people forgot how to hustle. I mean, you know, there's no magic to it. They want the Internet to do everything for them. and They don't want to do any work. But, you know, just hustling. Just every time you tell somebody what you do, you give them a business card or a little flyer, make a connection, ideally one-on-one. -on -one. That's so much more powerful in helping people who are in the market for what you have to want to use your services. Yeah, I've got you. Now, of course, with the national thing, that's not possible. So you have to do it through videos or whatever, right. audios. I mean, there's All also right. trade shows. So if you can afford a booth at a home show, that may help generate leads. But the thing is, you have to be willing to follow up. So just you know, collecting the business cards at your booth is not going to do it. You have to get on the phone and follow up and send them stuff and email and, and do stuff so that you can, can create the business. So you can't wait for them to come to you. Okay. It's, a, uh, you, it's outreach, not uh, in-reach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So and, and I guess at a trade show, you could always try to get a corner of someone's table and share a booth for a small amount, possibly, as long as it – I guess there may be some – Problems there in that the trade show says, no, we 
had this booth for this, and you can't have two different businesses, or maybe I don't know. I don't know how. I've not really worked that field. So no, I don't you know. might check it out, but uh, you may be able to share a booth as part of. First of all, I wouldn't tell the trade show what I was doing. I just ask the guy that's got the booth if I could sit there as well, you know, and put up a little little poster or whatever, and uh, I'll pay you this. You just do it until they kick you out. All right, so it's better to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission. Correct. Really. I mean, what can they do to you? Throw you out, that's it. Yeah, or try to. Okay. Uh, any last uh, few parting uh, moments that you might want to impart to the people? Well, I, I think the big thing is when people want to start out on their own, they have a tendency to think about things that are really not going to make that much difference in the end result. Like how should – should I design my business card and my logo and all that kind of stuff? You know, that stuff is great down the road. Focus on getting the business. Get the cash in. Don't worry about the pretty stuff. Do the hard work first of actually making the connections with people who can pay you. And then if you can do that and focus on that, the rest of the stuff will probably fall into place. So, yeah, the people do get sidetracked. They may spend uh, three years writing a book and then find out that uh, no one likes the subject. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get a mini book out. <laughs> Very possible. Uh, you could do that. Yeah. Or you see. could use an anthology book. You know, find a dozen other consultants like you in different areas for home improvement. Like if you're the landscape designer, then you go to the, the, the guy that cuts the grass or the roofer guy or the plumber or the electrician. Let me try to, a chapter in the book. You publish it together. And then they can all use it for promotion. And then when you send your 100 books out, the other guys are doing the same. So everybody's promoting everybody. And what would be – I mean you should get some kind of lion's share of the of this because you created the book or well, charging Well, you something? are coordinating it, I would make myself the first chapter because that's the one they're going to read the most. But okay. you know, the fact that you have 10 guys, each of who are now considered authors, that's going to help all their businesses, not only for them promotionally – but the other nine are also promoting that guy's business as well. So there's there's a lot to be said for something like that. And maybe you could even say, I want 500 each for you guys. You could do that or just split the printing cost or, you know, whatever. Because, again, you're going to get a lot more just from the exposure. Uh, the deal is if you each, let's say, get a couple hundred books, the deal is they have to mail out the books or give the books to individual homeowners that are not yours. So, you know, the 2,000 books end up in 2,000 different homes based on customer lists. Everybody maximizes the, the, the value of doing this project. That's excellent. And, Jeff, if folks want to get a hold of you and, and your services, how do they do that? Well, best way, go, go to uh, our website. You go to jeffslutsky.com, and um, you'll see everything we got, you know, all the speaking, the books, uh, consulting, way to get a hold of us, and so forth. So that's probably your best bet. Or also, streetfightermarketing.com also goes to the same exact web website. That costs me an extra $6 a year. So I got both of them. Okay. Is there a, Then they'll find your email there. Do you want to give your email too? Or? Uh, you go to the website first. Make sure it's worth sending me an email uh, so I don't, don't feel like you're spamming me. And then uh, and we can talk from there. All right. Okay. Well, that's fantastic. I'd sure like to take more of your time, but I think you originally just wanted 45 minutes and we're already over. <laughs> so. So you know, I, time I, is, oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, I won't charge you extra. Uh, all right. <laughs> but I'll tell you, if I start getting a bunch of business from this, we'll definitely be doing another. Oh, fantastic. I hope that uh, in the next few months that we will be doing that. There you go. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Jeff, for taking the time today. And uh look forward to talking to you in the future and seeing what you're up to. And uh, thanks again for 
for giving us this day with you. My pleasure. All right, sir. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Income for Baby Boomers with your host, Ken Queen. Helping boomers like you get a business started you can run from your own home. We interview owners of both online and offline businesses, but most importantly, ones that are run by baby boomers. Stay tuned next week for new and exciting businesses that you can start from your home. Until next time, have a profitable and blessed week.